The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. We're talking about how can I know God's will? And we've probably all asked that question one time or another. How, how can I really know God's will? You may have even asked this, is God really interested in me as an individual? I mean, think about that. Is God really concerned about you? This morning, ask yourself that question. Is God really concerned about me? Does God really have a master plan for my life? Does he really? Is that just something Jake's been preaching about, and that's just some kind of theme that the churches came up with to make us feel good? Does God really have something for me? And you may say, okay, we've been talking about this, and I've got it, Jake. Let's move on. I, I, I understand God has a purpose. So with that thought, I wonder this morning if we were just to take this microphone here off the pulpit and, and we were to come to Kim and I would just hand this to Kim and say, let's pass this around the, the whole auditorium this morning and, and I want each of you to share with me and share with one another God's purpose for your life. Just, just think to yourself, how comfortable would you be this morning? Now, some of you may say, well, I'm no public speaker. I, I would hate that. Well... We're not in that big of a public, are we? I mean, we all know each other pretty much, and we've all been around each other pretty much, and we could all stand at that door and greet each other and talk to each other, so it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But, but how comfortable would we be with saying, this is God's purpose for my life, I know it. I think for many of us, we would say, well, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. We might have different reasons but for some, the reason would be, I really don't know. Yeah, we've been talking about it three or four weeks, but you know, honestly, I really don't know God's purpose for my life. And if you would, turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to talk about living life on a purpose. We're going to talk about knowing God's will from Romans chapter 12. And I think we find some very interesting things in Romans chapter 12. And uh, I want you to notice Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I think regardless of what translation you have, I wouldn't say that for sure, but uh, I, I use 10 or 12 different translations in a Bible study tool that I have. And I've told many of you it's called eSword. E-Sword. You can download it and it's free. It gives you all kinds of helps for reading the Bible and study tips and illustrations, all kinds of different things. It's free to everyone. I encourage you to go there. But you can go and compare scriptures, and it'll list about 10 or 12 different translations. That's why I use different translations sometimes. But regardless of what trans translation you may have, more than likely the first word is therefore. And I'm sure you've heard this said before, when any time in scripture you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Because that's why it's there. It's, it's a therefore, and uh, when we begin to look at this chapter, Paul is making a shift from doctrine to duty. He's, he's moving from, from creed to conduct, from principles to practice, and from beliefs to behavior. And the last thing I want us to think about is that moving from beliefs to behavior. 
And for a lot of people, uh, a lot of people have head knowledge. A lot of these folks Paul was talking to, they had a knowledge within their head. Do y'all remember the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz? What did the scarecrow want? A brain. Thank you, brother. And I like that movie, incidentally. Is that right? What he just said is right? I know it. I want to make sure you knew that was right, too. <laughs> Our math teacher here. What's the funny thing about that? That was a bunch of useless knowledge, wasn't it? Maybe not if you're a math teacher, or maybe not in that field. But you know what? And, and kind of the, the moral behind even the passing out of the awards, the brain and the heart and the courage was more about, you have these things, you need to be put them into effect. That was the point of the brain. He said, if you go and look at that and listen to it and watch it, which I have watched many, many times at our house, uh, probably too many to count with my daughter and my other kids also, is the, the moral was, you have the knowledge, you have the understanding, now we must put it into practice. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We don't only need to know, we need to grow. We need to be putting things into practice instead of just filling our heads with knowledge, instead of just filling our heads with knowing what God's Word says and, and maybe even understanding what God's Word said. Our, his Word may, it needs to affect our attitudes and it needs to affect, affect our actions because simply sitting here and knowing and understanding and hearing, it does no good unless we put that into practice, unless it affects everything about our lives, our, our attitudes, our actions, how we move forward. So based on everything that Paul had just said, and we're not going to go back and look at all of those things, based on what he just said, he had Therefore, and then we move into our text this morning. Martin Luther, and we can study Romans, and Martin Luther said this about the, the book that literally changed his life. He was the great reformer, and we've talked about this. You know, he came out of the dark ages when the church had locked up the scriptures and people didn't have the word of God, and they were teaching only what they believed. And, and Martin Luther was trying to figure out the word of God and the will of God, and, and he was studying in Romans, and he said this about Romans. Romans is the chief part of the New Testament, the very purest gospel, which indeed deserves that a Christian not only know it word for word by heart, but deal with it daily as with the daily bread of the soul. We, 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 uh, we sang a song just now that 
that said, your very word spoken in me is my daily bread. That's, that's my daily bread. That's, that's how I survive. And that's what Martin Luther was saying. In the, the, treat this book of Romans as the very daily bread of our soul. For it can never be read or considered too much or too well. And the more it's handled, the more delightfully it becomes and the better it tastes. That's Romans. That's the book of Romans. Now, in Romans, there are at least four therefores. And I was going over this this morning. I've had this sermon for three weeks now. I've been, it's loaded. Boy, y'all better get ready because I'm fixing to unload. Uh, I've been wanting to preach this for three weeks. So uh, I was going over it again in my office this morning, and I said there are, there are four therefores. And when I, when I thought that, I thought, that's what I ought to be preaching on, the four therefores of the book of Romans. But here they are, these, these four therefores, they kind of help unlock the teaching, and it kind of gives a summary about what the book of Romans is. In Romans 3.20, there is the therefore of condemnation. Romans 3.20, the therefore of condemnation. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in the sight of the Lord by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Think about this. Now, Paul is teaching Jews who are bound by the law. And if they're bound by the law, they're thinking to themselves, I'm righteous before God because of my actions, because of the law. As Paul begins to teach this, remember Christ has come on the scene. And as Christ has come on the scene, no longer are they under the law. They're under grace. They're under the new covenant. They're under the blood of Christ. And as he's teaching us, and folks, don't ever think that there aren't still people today that believe that we're saved because of our actions, because we keep a list of things off the law. Folks still believe that today. Folks still practice that today. But Paul is teaching this, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. He's just laid out this whole teaching, Romans 1 through Romans 3, about the new covenant, the covenant that is Jesus Christ, the covenant of the blood of the Father. We're going to share together next week. We're going to have communion together. It represents the body and the blood of Christ. Paul is teaching that. When he gets through with that teaching, he says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous by the sight of observing the law. Rather, it's through the law we know that we sin. That's the first therefore. Here's the second. The second, therefore, is in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And it's the therefore of justification. See, we have a therefore of condemnation. As he goes on, there's a therefore of justification. And this is what he says, the same lines. He's still teaching these Jews, you can't be declared righteous by the law. Rather, the law, we become conscious of sin. Then he says, this is justification. You know what that is? Just as if we had never sinned. And as he says, justification, therefore we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching. There's the second therefore. We've been justified not through the keeping of the law. The keeping of the law condemns us. It makes us conscious of sin. Therefore, 
justification, just as if we had never sinned. It comes through faith, and through that faith we have peace with God. And we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is building, isn't it? See, what's happening is he's teaching folks that don't know about salvation. He's, te- <clears throat> he's teaching them what Christ has done. He's teaching them that we're not justified by the law. He's saying we're justified by faith through Jesus Christ and what he has done. And then there's the therefore of assurance in chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He gives them a a therefore of assurance. You can be assured of this. If you're a born-again Christian... If there's been a point of your life when you've come before God the Father and said, you know what, I realize I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven of my sins, and I need you to come into my heart, and I need to be saved, Paul says, therefore, from what I've just taught you, we need to understand there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be condemned if you're in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? That's good news for us. And then today... He talks about the therefore of surrender. Now, we've been talking over the last few weeks about our, God's purpose for us in our lives. We've been talking about living a life of knowing God's will and understanding what God would have us to do. And that's what Paul is dealing with in this very chapter, the therefore of surrender. Now, immediately in front of this chapter 12, this is what... Paul is talking about, and he has this deep doxology here that's found at the very end of chapter 11, starting in verse 33. And I want you, if you would, to get a picture of this. Get a picture of Paul, maybe even get a picture of Paul standing in a temple. Or if you would like, get a picture of him standing out on a hillside. These Jews all gathered around him, hundreds, maybe thousands, gathered around And Paul's standing up and saying, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths beyond finding out. And who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given God that God should repay him? Listen, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. Can't you hear Paul? Can't you hear him? Maybe that was a prayer that he was praying and and he was there among his people and he he began to talk and he began to pray. and, And after he came to that point from teaching doctrine... I want to take a little side note right here. Incidentally, some folks say, oh, I don't like when you talk about doctrine. Y'all ever heard that? Y'all ever thought about people that say, oh, that, that preacher gets there and he talks about doctrine. I'm not interested in that. You know what doctrine is? It's the teaching of things. <laughs> That's all it is. That's all it is. It's the teaching of things. Some of you may teach the doctrine of English or the doctrine of math or the doctrine of science. 
there's doctrines of all kinds. Now, the word doctrine usually refers to something of a religious nature. So when you hear the word doctrine, don't think, oh, he's getting off on some religious... Well, that is a little bit of what doctrine is, but, but doctrine is just something taught. That's all it is. And Paul is talking about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? The teachings of Jesus Christ. That's all he's talking about. So don't get bogged down in the word doctrine and say, oh, go to church and they get bogged down in doctrine. Well, oh, it's not nothing but teachings. That's all it is. So, so Paul is talking about something, and the, the definition says, especially of religion or a political party. Well, you know, when Christ came, it was both, wasn't it? It was about religion, and it was about the political environment of the time. So Paul's talking about doctrine, and if he's talking about doctrine, the teachings of Christ, he becomes overwhelmed in chapter 11 about, about the, 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 the depth of God's glory, about the depth of God's love, about the depth of God's mercy, and, and he can't help but just break out into chapter 12. Man, he's talking about the doctrine of Christ, he's talking about the love of Christ, he's talking about who can compare and his, his God's mercies are all around us and who has given anything to God and away the sins of the world and if we come to him we have eternal life and he gets all wrapped up in that and he gets to chapter 12, he says, therefore, because of all these things I've been teaching, because of all these things we've been talking about, therefore, I urge you, brothers as you consider in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Now right here, I know that many of you know this scripture. Some of you probably know it by heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's kind of a scripture that a lot of people memorize just like John 3.16. So at this point, you're going to just check out. I understand that. I've heard it. I've memorized it. And besides that, Jake, you referred to it the last two times you've preached. I have. But don't check out this morning because Romans 12.1 needs to be linked to everything before Romans 12.1. Remember what we talked about, the, the, the condemnation, the justification, the assurance? Romans 12.1 is tied to all of those things. So Paul is wanting us to remember there's no condemnation. We're justified through faith. We have assurance of our salvation. Therefore, with all of that on our mind, with all of those things floating around on our head, therefore, I urge you, to do some things. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the, the purpose. If you're serious about knowing God's will, then you're not going to say no to God's will. You can't say no to God's will. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Therefore, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I asked this morning as we started, if we were to go around the room and say, what's God's will for you? What's God's will for your life? Paul says in Ephesians, hey, don't be foolish about this, but we need to understand what the Lord's will is. In order to do that, I think there's some things in Romans chapter 12 
that teaches us at least three different conditions that need to be met. Now, we're not going to do all three this morning. I hope we get through two. If we don't, we don't. The first thing I feel like when I say these words, some of you are going to tune out because you're going to say, I'm already there. But for us to know and understand God's will, the first condition is this. We have to be saved. That's the first condition. For us to to know what God's will is, we need to be prepared for Christ's return. Now, saved is the same thing, but I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you prepared for Christ's return? A couple of weeks ago, when I began to put this sermon together, the government of the United States had just signed a treaty with Iran over nuclear arms, and and Iran and Russia and Iraq and all of those countries kind of meshed together, in my opinion. And uh, our president later came up and made this statement, just a few days after that, that he realized the treaty that he signed puts Israel in danger. Well, do you reckon? <laughs> Their enemies, you just gave them an okay to have some nuclear weapons, and that's what the United States has had sanctions against those countries to say you can't have these weapons, and, and all of a sudden we're signing a treaty. And just a little side note, I'm not making no kind of political stand or getting on my political soapbox. I just want you to know some of the conditions of that treaty. You know part of that treaty is we can't go in Iran and inspect their nuclear facilities without announcing it first. Did you know Russia can come to the United States anytime unannounced and look at all of our facilities? Did y'all know that? That's the truth. They can come over here. They can look at all of our arms, all of anything that we have, any of this secret stuff that we may have. Anytime unannounced, they can show up. Before we can go over there, we got to make arrangements. we got to call up and say, hey, hide all your stuff. We're coming. That's what we're doing, isn't it? Hey, we're on the way. You better hide everything. You better move it over to another country because we're coming. And we can't do that but twice a year. You reckon we put some other countries in danger? Why does that have to do with anything I'm talking about this morning? Because we need to be prepared for Christ's return. Folks, you need to understand Israel is not going to be defeated. Amen? That's what God's Word says. And God's Word says... Nations will line up with nations to do what? To destroy Israel. And folks that study the Bible and folks that look at the Bible say, well, when the end times get close, and some people say, oh, my great-grandmother was talking about end times. People have been looking for the Lord's coming for ages Folks, when we talk about the Lord's coming, when we go to Revelation and we go over to Daniel and we begin to study the prophecies about God's return, do you know this? Every prophecy has been fulfilled. Did you know that? And to think about that, even the nations are beginning to line up against Israel. That's prophecy. You know one of the biggest nations that's lining up against Israel? United States, who we've always been allied with Israel. But all of a sudden, we're saying, Israel, you can't do this. Israel, you can't do that. Israel, get rid of these arms. Israel, you can't return fire. Israel, you don't need to have a war. See, even the United States is lining up against Israel because of our leadership. 
is leading us in that direction. So don't sit here this morning saying, oh, Christ's return. The Bible says all of these prophecies have to be fulfilled. They haven't been fulfilled yet. Yes, they have. Every single prophecy about the return of Christ has been fulfilled. Even to the point of Matthew where it says, when you see these things happening, when you see nations rebelling against Christianity, that's happening. When you see nations lining up against Israel, that's happening. In the things that we see around our country, they're being fulfilled. And Matthew says, this is the birth pains that are coming upon our nation. And Christ is coming. You know, when a, when a lady goes into labor, it ain't long, is it? Now, if you're in labor, it may seem like a long time. Do y'all remember that story about Denise? <laughs> Do y'all have time for that this morning? Yes or no? Do you want to hear a story? <clears throat> Our first child, J.C. Oh, we tried forever to have a, a child. Finally, we're getting ready. It's getting close. Denise worked out every day all the way through her pregnancy. She, she went and did aerobics and worked out and walked and he said, well, let's go to Walmart. We're going to walk around. We're going to get this baby here. You know, we walked, we walked, we walked, we walked. I'm in labor. I'm in labor. I can tell. I've got these pains. They're five minutes apart. Let's go to the hospital. Now, any of y'all that's had babies, does that sound right? <clears throat> we go to the hospital. I got a video camera, big old video camera, you know, that you had to carry an extra piece on your side. Do y'all remember those? And I get out of the car. I said, just a minute, just a minute. I'm going to video it. Okay, I'll wait. And she's in the car. And, and I said, okay, we're, on the, we're fixing to go have a new baby. And this is, Denise gets out. Oh, I'm in labor. I'm going to have the baby. <laughs> I'm videoing her. We go in. We go to the doctor's office. The doctor comes in there. Well, Miss Vaughn, what's happening? Oh, I'm in labor. He goes, you ain't in labor. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm in labor. Let me check you. No, you're not in labor. You need to go back home. <laughs> you was not. Don't even try it. <laughs> I'm telling this story. <laughs> did he or did he not send us home? <laughs> so here's the rest of that story. Several hours later, maybe days, it was days, wasn't it? A couple of days. She said, I'm asleep. She woke me up and she said, we got to go to the doctor. <laughs> we got to go to the hospital. It's time. It's time. And I said, okay. We lived in McKinney. A doctor was in Plano, which is, you know, 25 miles. We get to the hospital. I said, just a minute. I won't get the camera. She said, get that camera out of my face. <laughs> I ain't waiting on you to get that. I'm going to the doctor. <laughs> you know, boy, there was a big difference, wasn't there? Because the closer we got to delivery, the worse the labor pains got. And we went in that time, the doctor said, okay, you are in labor. <laughs> Get a room, because here it comes. Folks, we need to look around our country. We need to realize, according to Matthew, the labor pains are getting worse. And Christ is getting closer and for us to know the will of God, for us to understand what's happening in the future, we need to be prepared for Christ's return. 
this morning, if you're here, are you prepared for Christ's return? All the things are ready. The stars are lining up, if you will. Has nothing to do with it, just a saying. And here's the question. Are you prepared? Have you made arrangements to say, you know what? Christ is coming. And I need to be prepared. And as Paul begins to teach, and as Paul begins to talk here, he looks at those before him, and he says this, I urge you, brothers. He could have commanded them. Instead, he makes this appeal, this word urge, or this word that he uses means to call near, or to invite. And he's talking to those who are as Christ as brothers. He uses them as, as members of God's family. He says, we need, to, we need to move beyond knowing about God. We need to move beyond knowing about the end times. We need to move on from knowing that Christ died for our sins. And we need to be making preparations for Christ's return. Are you saved? Until you are, you'll never know the will of God. Because His first act, His first desire for you is to become His child. His first moving of the Spirit within your heart is going to be calling you until Himself. That's His first act. That's His, his, his first move in the sinner's heart is to say, you know what, I'm coming one day, and you need to be prepared for my return. Now listen to this, and we're getting ready to close this morning. Jesus made an interesting statement in John chapter 10, verse 4. We want to know God's will. We want to understand how God would lead us. And Jesus said this, My sheep follow me because they know my voice. My sheep follow me because they know my voice. Those who have a relationship with the shepherd, Jesus said he's the shepherd. Those who have a relationship with the shepherd... They understand His voice. They hear His voice. And they're tuned in to the shepherd's voice. Now, I want to just ask you this question. And, and I know some people, they, uh, they might say this, He doesn't speak to me. I've not, I've not, I've not heard Him speak. I've not, I've not necessarily felt His drawing. My question is this, are you tuned in to the shepherd? You know, if you get in your car today, us old people had tuners, didn't we? Y'all remember sitting there and turning that knob, just, oh, too far, turning that, oh, there, that, trying to find that perfect stuff. Now you just get in XM and hit 8 or 7 or 59. 59's pretty good if y'all have XM. That's just all old classic country. Uh, 161's got gospel, uh, got what we sing here, you know, I mean, so... Nowadays, we just get in and poke some buttons. But I want to ask you, are you tuned in to the shepherd? Because when you get that tuner set just right, through song and through prayer and through Bible study and through meditation, we're tuned in with God. When you take some time early in the morning and you get out your Sunday school book or you get out your Bible and you begin to read and you begin to pray and you begin to think about what's taking place, you're tuned in with God. And you're fine-tuning that tuner where you might know God's will. 
Two years ago, I had a job that, that it was my responsibility to prepare safety meetings and be, I was a safety representative for, for the east part of Texas from, from uh, Gainesville all the way down to Lufkin. And, and my boss would say, hey, we need to do a, we need to do a, a safety meeting on this topic. And if any of you have ever put a meeting together, what do you do? You kind of study that topic, don't you? If you want to do it on farm safety, Pat has safety meetings. I just know that because he and I were just talking about it the other day. He finds a subject, and he studies up on that subject, and then he puts some things together, and then he's able to present that. When I, uh, two weeks ago, my ex-boss called me, who is my boss's boss now, I'm in a different job, and he said, hey, we've got a safety conference coming up for the southeast region. We had a guy that was going to put a presentation together. He's took another job. He's gone. I want you to put something together. I know you can do that. When your boss's boss calls you, what do you do? You go, I was just sitting here wanting to do that, you know. <laughs> and that actually was my reply. He used to be my boss, so we're pretty close. And I said, man, I was hoping you'd call me. And he laughed and said, just put something together. You know what I did? He said, this is what I want you to cover. I read some stuff. I got on the Internet and found some stuff. I got some documents in front of me, and I read them. I got some pictures that related to that subject. I began to build a PowerPoint. But, you know, before I'd done all that, I just sat there and thought. You ever do that? You're putting something together. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a uh, teaching curriculum. Maybe it's to present a meeting, maybe it's to go up and stand before somebody and talk, maybe it's a Sunday school class, and you gather some information and you read it, and then you just sit there and think about it. Hmm. I could do this, and I can do that, and this is the message I want to get across, and here's how I'm going to do that. Well, think about this. If we want to be in tune with God, we need to get some information out in front of us. God's Word is a great thing. We sing a song called Word of God Speak. I love that song. We take God's Word and we get it before us. And we study it and we read it a little bit. Then we just say, Lord, I want you to reveal to me what this Word is. And what are you trying to say to me? And then we think about it. We begin to meditate on it. And we take our journals out and we begin to say, okay, God, I believe this is a message you're giving me. We begin to write those things down as, hey, God is speaking to me in this fashion. God's given me a concern, and I need to cultivate that concern. And through prayer and through Scripture and through meditation, we begin to build that picture of what God would have us to do. Now, nobody here wants to go back to their car out here, and there may be some cars out here with this kind of... You don't want to go back to tuning that radio, do you? Why? It just takes more effort. We just just, boom, no, that I don't like that song, boom. Y'all remember eight tracks? You had to listen to four songs before you got the one you wanted. <laughs> you know, that, you built patience, didn't you? You learned patience with the eight tracks. If y'all don't know what it is, ask your parents or ask me. But you just had to, you could skip a bunch of them, but you had to listen to some of them to get to the one you wanted. We don't like those things because it takes some time for us to slow down and to think about God's Word. What I want you to do this week, I want you to think about this. Do you really want to know what God's 
Word is? Do you really want to understand what His will for you is? I want to ask you if you would take some time to spend some time singing some songs. Boy, there's a great bunch of radio stations that you can go find some good words and, and spend some time in God's Word and spend some time meditating upon those things and spend some time writing down some thoughts from those things. And here's the plea. Paul says, I urge you, I, I'm inviting you in the view of God's mercy, in the view of His mercies. That word is, is plural. In the view of His mercies. Paul doesn't say in the light of His grace. He said this, in the view of His mercies. I want to close with this. God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve. Do you hear that? God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve. His mercy is what keeping us from getting what we do deserve. Now, this takes a minute to think on. God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve, salvation. But His mercy is what keeps us from getting what we do deserve. His mercy. Paul says this, in the view of God's mercy. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. You know, one of the best motivations that we have to live for Christ is to remember His mercies. Because His mercies keep us from getting what we do deserve. The Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I wonder this morning, is there anyone here today who, may, who needs to make a decision to invite Christ into their heart? Now, Paul gives us a couple of different ways, and we'll look at those next week. But, but the first step, are you prepared to meet the Savior? I ain't talking about, do you have the right words to say, oh, I've been saved. Yeah, I remember when I was so-and-so age, I walked an aisle and I was baptized. I'm asking you this question. Are you prepared to meet the Savior? Therefore, in the view of God's mercies, in the view of knowing that we are justified by faith, not of ourselves, lest we should boast, in the view of the fact that the law simply condemns us. The good deeds, the good works, those don't mean anything. Oh, they're a following, they're a result of our salvation. But they don't get us to that point. But in the view of God's mercies, have you made a step of faith to say, Lord, I need your grace through faith and I remember your mercies daily. 
Father, I pray this morning as we just consider that relationship we have with you, that it's an ongoing relationship, that you have a plan for each person here, that each person here is not simply just some being that's out lost in the world, but your eye is upon them. Father, you tell us in your word that even a sparrow that falls, you recognize. And how much more valuable are we than the sparrows of the field? Father, you also tell us that none come to you without being drawn of the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider that drawing of your Spirit, as we consider the God of the universe drawing us unto him. Therefore, in the view of God's mercies, I pray today that we would offer ourselves, that we would offer our bodies a living sacrifice to you, which is holy and pleasing, which is our spiritual act of worship. Lord, I pray today that we'd be able to block out our family ties, that we'd be able to block out our Sunday school ties, our church ties, and we'd be able to look at ourselves standing alone before you and ask ourselves, no matter what others think, am I prepared for eternity? And, Father, if we can't answer that question with a resounding yes, I pray today would be the day we nail it down, we settle it today, that we might move on. And, Father, that we might know your will for our lives. And, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would move among your people. And I pray during this time of our service that we might be about doing business with you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand together? And as we do so often, I want to ask you just to bow your heads. We're not going to have any singing this morning, guys. If we would, let's just have our instruments play. And let's just spend some time in prayer together that we might remember, in the view of God's mercies, all that he has done for us in this place. As the instruments play, the altar is open. I'll be here if the Spirit is leading you. I want to ask you if you'd come this morning.